Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode. It's Blitzcast time. Once again, Ed and Alex back in the house bringing it to you. We're talking about the NFL. We're going to talk about fantasy football a little bit later on. We're going to talk about college football, and we're going to do the previews for all 10 games. It's going to be an exciting show, just filled with a lot of football stuff. Well, let's start with the NFL, and the central game, the big game this weekend, is the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New Orleans Saints. Patrick Mahomes didn't have his best game last week. He threw three picks against the Miami Dolphins, but the Chiefs still won. The Saints were riding high, but they had a hiccup against, of all teams, it was the Philadelphia Eagles that they had a hiccup against. The Chiefs, the Saints, the best team in the AFC as far as I'm concerned, and the best team in the NFC still after losing that game to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think this game, you know, heavily favors the Chiefs. I mean, I I know they're both two good teams, but when you think about something like the fact that the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, he's healthy, you know, he's playing great football, um, you know, the Chiefs are really dominating. And then you talk about the Saints where, I mean, they don't have Drew Brees, he has a punctured lung, he has broken ribs, he's out. You're relying on Taysom Hill, who's been good enough to win, but, I mean, is he good enough to win a big game? I guess we're going to find out what happens this weekend. According to Bovada Sportsbook, the Chiefs are a three-point favorite over the Saints on the road. It's no surprise that the the Kansas City Chiefs are the favorites in this game. But I'm going to go with the Saints. And here's the reason why. The Saints know that they laid an egg against, uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. Taysom Hill didn't have his best game. And... The Eagles were able to to run all over the Saints. So the Saints know they got to deliver. This they still have a pretty good defense. I think Taysom Hill will bounce back. And the one thing that they got to do with Drew Brees being out, they have to feature Alvin Kamara more. It seems like they're throwing it with Taysom Hill, but they're also running it with Taysom Hill as well. Alvin Kamara has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But I do think that the Saints are going to be motivated. I think Sean Payton is going to design a great game plan on the offensive side, and I think the Saints' defense has a lot to prove against the so-called best team against the against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that's that's another thing to consider in this game is that the Saints really didn't play well against the Eagles. I mean, Jalen Hurts had his breakout game for sure, but the fact is is that the Eagles are not a great team, and a team like the Saints had trouble with the Eagles, and that that sends to me not only a message that they're struggling on the offensive side of the ball, but also on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they really struggled stopping the run. I mean, when Miles Sanders is running wild, when you're not containing Jalen Hurts, who didn't have a good game passing, but he certainly was able to make plays on the ground. And the Saints have a lot to prove this week. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Like I said, I'm looking for that bounce-back game when nobody expects you to win. But the Saints are at home. I think Sean Payton and Taysom Hill have something under their their sleeve, and I think they're going to come out on top this game. We loved having this guest on last time. Uh, He gave us a lot of great pointers when it comes to fantasy football, and we decided to invite him back because fantasy football playoffs are right around the corner, and we need some help. He's a contributor for Dynasty Nerds, and he has his own podcast. We would like to welcome Andy Buckler to the show. Andy, what's going on? What's up, man? Excited to be on again. Thanks for having me. Curious. I mean, right off the bat, to sum up this fantasy football season, uh, how was this year different from last year? And did you notice any major differences that could affect your overall strategy in the future drafts? Well, this year was probably the weirdest year ever with COVID and everything. So as far as, like, draft strategy and stuff, I don't really think so. I think this year, like, you're going to have to 
throw a lot of stuff out that like we had like random guys having COVID and you had to play these crazy players and stuff. So I don't know if that's going to go in the next draft, but the thing I probably noticed the most though, I would say is like an elite fantasy quarterback seemed like it mattered way more than normal. Like those top four guys seemed way more important than it usually do. Who were your fantasy surprises this year? Probably the biggest one, the number one would be James Robinson from the Jaguars. You know, they lost Fournette. They cut him right before the season. He stepped in. James Robinson has a 1,000 yards and looks like one of the best running backs in football. Robert Tanyan, tight end for the Packers, and Robbie Anderson. Uh, Robbie Anderson stepped in in an offense with um, Teddy Bridgewater, a lot of question marks, DJ Moore. Obviously, McCaffrey didn't play much. Didn't really think he would do what he did, and he's a top 15 wide receiver in fantasy. So those are my three biggest. Who are your fantasy disappointments? Uh, number one is DJ Chark uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was high on him. I don't know if it's completely his fault. You know, they had a bunch of quarterbacks, Mike Glennon, like a bunch of random quarterbacks, and he's in, he was injured a lot of the season, but he's been really bad. Hollywood Brown, who I'm no longer calling Hollywood anymore, he's <laughs> he's in, he's in terrible. Besides, he kind of touched down the other day, but he's just been so bad. Evan Ingram. I thought he would be one of the top tight ends because he's getting so much volume in that offense. He's one of the top targets. He's been he's been terrible. And then Matt Ryan, he's in the offense with so much around him, and he's just I don't know. He might just be over for Matt Ryan. Do you think Matt Ryan was a disappointment? I mean, he was like up and down this year. He had like a streak of three or four games where he was really good, and then he had a streak of about five or six games where he was really bad. I, he's a disappointment for me because I actually had him one uh, in a dynasty league, and anytime you want to play him, he, you never know. Like, like last week, he threw the three picks like right at the end. He's just been like a train wreck all season, and he's so up and down. And I think a lot of it is he didn't have Julio. When he doesn't have Julio, it's different. But he hasn't been great. He might just be declining, you know. Well, Calvin Ridley has has been great for fantasy owners. You know, he certainly picked it up when Julio hasn't been in the lineup. What did you see in Josh Allen that made him so successful? I know that was one of your best picks this year. Stefan Diggs, obviously, getting him transferring that entire offense. And he's just so much more comfortable. I mean, as a team and a coach, it's really the coach is so important. We see guys like Sam Darnold has no coach and everything's just over. But he has a coach. They have a good foundation. He's more comfortable. His accuracy is so much better. And a lot of people, like, I know a lot of people didn't like Josh Allen, but his accuracy really wasn't as bad as people made it seem. It was bad if you look at the raw numbers, like his previous seasons. But he had the most drops in the league. Like, they left a lot of yards and completions on the field his previous seasons. Now with Diggs and Gabriel Davis, a rookie, he's just done a lot better. He's way more comfortable. He's an MVP candidate. Which rookies surprised you this year? Antonio Gibson is probably the biggest surprise for me. I mean, I wasn't crazy about him because he came out of Memphis. He only had, like, the 33 carries. He was used as, like, a gadget guy. A lot happened in Washington. Uh, and then he's the lead guy. He has 11 touchdowns. He's been a fantasy superstar, really. And he looks like he's going to be the answer there and the future there. I got more interested in during the later stages of the draft, but as a prospect and doing my scouting and stuff, I wasn't, like, really, really big on him. Andy, were you able to, uh, you know, pick up Justin Jefferson or uh, Higgins in the free agent waiver wire? I mean, they've been pretty good out there. Yeah, I have uh, T. Higgins in almost every league. I was picking him a lot late, and then I got him in a bunch of waiver wires. Justin Jefferson, I didn't have. He got drafted in both my leagues, and he actually got cut in one of them, and he was picked up really fast. I didn't get any Justin Jefferson. Let's find out about the the playoffs that are right around the corner personally i'm i'm worried about wide receiver deandre hopkins moving forward which star players could be a big letdown to fantasy owners come playoff time well i'm gonna start off with miles sanders he's been a pretty big disappointment honestly all season until last week where he blew up the other two touchdowns that long run versus the saints but if you expect that i know he has like an easy schedule he has arizona and dallas but I would be a little hesitant about him. But I think the number one is Russell Wilson and basically the rest of the Seahawks, like DK, Lockett, even Chris Carson. They get the Washington, they get Washington and the Rams. 
Russell Wilson's been up and down. Like, he started off the season on fire, and then he's just been up and down. And against the Rams, like, they don't allow much. So I'd be scared about him, a little worried. I threw in uh, Julio Jones. That hamstring's been in and out. Like, I'd be pretty scared to play him in the fantasy playoffs with a chance of him catching one pass and going out for the game. Well, you're giving me some bad news, Andy. I mean, <laughs> I've got Russell Wilson in one of my leagues, and he's just been carrying me there. Uh, especially in the early part of this season. It's actually the league that Ed and I are in. The rest of my fantasy outlook, the rest of my fantasy players in that in that uh, league are just terrible, and Russell has been <laughs> the one carrying me. So that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, you still got to play him, but it's just his schedule is pretty scary. Yeah, I, and I have Miles Sanders in my other league and with my writer's league, and, uh, yeah, that's that's not looking good for me right now. But let's talk about the waiver wire. What are some good pickups for the playoffs so we can we can fix our teams for the playoffs? Well, the waiver wire for this week is kind of bare. Like, it's it's not as good. Well, really, three main guys. The one's probably owned this Brandon Ayuk. If he's on your waiver wire, you have to go get him. He's a league winner, but he's like 75% rostered, so he's probably rostered. T.Y. Hilton is another guy. I was, like, beating the drum on Twitter for him the last couple of weeks to pick him up. Now he's probably not widely available, but he's a league winner. He plays Houston. You know, he owns Houston. And then two more, like, available guys would be Jeff Wilson, running back for the 49ers. Mostert got banged up again. The one game we saw him in the lead role, he had 110 yards, two touchdowns. And we know he's a Shanahan running back, so we want him in fantasy. So Jeff Wilson and then Cole Komet, if you need a tight end. He's been starting to his – uh. Snap counts will be going up. He's been playing 80% of the snaps, seven targets, two weeks in a row. He's a guy, if you're desperate for tight end like most people are, you could plug him in and play him. Well, what do you think of Logan Thomas? I mean, he has really emerged uh, the past couple of weeks for Washington. Is he another guy that you know people should keep an eye on if he's still available? Yeah, he's a good guy to throw in, especially if Antonio Gibson doesn't play. That just opens up more targets and stuff, and we got to see the quarterback, though, because if Dwayne Haskins is starting at quarterback, I'm not interested. But if Alex Smith is, then I think definitely Logan Thomas is in play. So I wanted to ask you about Brandon Ayuk. I mean, I this was kind of a guy who got drafted in the first round. It was kind of out of my first-round radar. What, what do you like about this guy? What is it What is it that's making him successful in the league? I mean, he's, he's had a great year. Yeah, I love Brandon Ayuk coming out. Um, He's like Debo Samuel, like, you know, they use him in the run game and the screen game, but I think he's better. Like, I think he's better than Debo. He's a be- I think he's a better receiver. I love, like, his athleticism, how he could be used so differently. He can go up and get it. Like, we saw a play on Sunday night a few weeks ago where he jumped over the guy. Like, he's an athletic freak, and he looks like, a, like he could be a true number one. And obviously, like, Shanahan went up to trade for this guy. Like, they want him. They want him to be the future, and Debo can't stay on the field. So I'm really big on Brandon Ayuk, and he's been he even exceeded my expectations. Like he's been over 20 fantasy points the last three weeks. Kyle Shanahan loves those guys in the draft that can get them yards after the catch, and uh, Debo was able to do it last year as a rookie, and Brandon Ayuk is is doing it this year. They just and when they drafted him, they basically said that they had C.D. Lamb number one, and they had Brandon Ayuk as their number two wide receiver on the board. That says a lot. So the 49ers had him ahead of Henry Ruggs, ahead of Jerry Judy, ahead of Justin Jefferson. And Ayuk was, I think, like the, the sixth wide receiver chosen in, in that first round. So, I mean, that, that says a lot about how the 49ers value guys that can, are elusive after the catch and can pick up yards. And plus it doesn't hurt having Kyle Shanahan playing in that offense. He certainly makes running backs and wide receivers look better than what they actually are. I would say he's doing it with Nick Mullins, too. If they finally get a quarterback in there, he could be really good next year. Let's talk about next year. With with the injuries to McCaffrey and and Barkley this year, and those were the, the top two guys in most fantasy leagues, who do you think will be the first selection in fantasy football in 2021? I still think it's McCaffrey. I still think he goes number one. But personally, if I had the number one pick, I, w- I think I would take Dalvin Cook. And that depends these next two weeks. Hopefully he gets to stay healthy. But he's always injury risk. But he's just been amazing when he plays. McCaffrey, I mean, he couldn't stay healthy this whole season. Barkley I wouldn't touch in the first five picks with his injury. 
And another guy that I think could go one would be Kamara. But if Taysom Hill really ends up as a starting quarterback in week one next year, I don't think there's a way you could pick him in the top four. His production drops way too much. So I think Dalvin Cook. So one debate I have with my friends is in my fantasy league is, you know, whether it's a it's a running back league or it's a wide receiver league. And I drafted running backs, and all my running backs got hurt. Um, and so I'm wondering, I mean, do you prioritize running backs or do you prioritize wide receivers? Running backs, still. So it's been a rough year because all the top guys got hurt for the most part. You had, like, some disappointments like Kenyon Drake. Miles Sanders, but that almost makes running back more important because there's, like, not a lot of studs. There's so many wide receivers, like Allen Robinson, Brandon Ayuk, even Jamison Crowder. Like, all those dudes were so late. So I, I think it's still a running back, though. It's been a bad year for the top running backs, but I still think it has to be running back early. It's been a weird year just in general, right? We also had a lot of wide receivers that have gotten hurt this year. I mean, we saw, like, A.J. Brown, Michael Thomas, you know, Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay. A lot of guys went down that were also early picks. Yeah, and maybe it had something to do with, like, you know, the no camp and stuff and guys got hurt more, but there's been a lot of guys have been hurt this year, a lot of big fantasy players for a while, a lot of guys on IR. Uh, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert will most certainly win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, what do you think of his fantasy prospects next year? You don't think Justin Jefferson has taken that award these last couple weeks? No, I'm still going to go quarterback. It's it's tough for me to not go quarterback or running back. And, and running backs, I mean, obviously James Robinson is in there. But when a guy is throwing for that many touchdowns on a bad Chargers team, and they are a bad team, I think that it's it's tough to give it to a wide receiver when it's it's – we've had one of the best – of rookie quarterback seasons in a while, even though Baker had a great season a couple of years back, but Justin Herbert has shattered that. Yeah, he, he's just been a little. He struggled these last couple of weeks, but I think he'll be a top, probably like a top eight, top ten quarterback in drafts. I, I still probably think that's might be a little too high. He might be one of the more overdrafted players next year. I think he'll be a, a top eight quarterback probably in drafts. And most likely he's going to have a new offensive system and a new coaching staff, so he's he's going to have to adapt once again. But Herbert has certainly been, along with Justin Jefferson and James Robinson, as you know, the the main contender for that award. I want to talk to you about Darren Waller. You know, he is he's become a star uh, in his second year with the Raiders. How high will he be drafted? Will he be drafted in the same range as Travis Kelsey and? And George Kittle next season? Probably, and I think it's too high. It's Travis Kelsey or nothing, really, this year. I mean, Travis Kelsey's number one tight end by, like, over 40 points. Waller's been good. He's the number two tight end, but he still has six games under 50 yards. He has a huge game, 200-yard game against the Jets. It skews things. He's great. I think Kelsey will probably be a first-round pick. And then Kittle will be in the second, around second to third round. I think... Waller probably will be right there, but I think that's still too high because it's really just it's Kelsey and, like, nothing else. Andy, obviously you're a big uh, fantasy football guy, but you're also a, a big football fan. Who do you think will win the Super Bowl this year and why? Uh, the Chiefs. I think they're the best team. They have the best player. And I just don't really see anyone really, like, beating them, scoring with them. I know Mahomes had the three picks last week. They still won. It's like they just toy with teams. They can they do whatever they want. I don't really see anyone beating them. Do you think they have enough on defense? Do you think they can peak like they did last year? I do. I think their defense is underrated. I've always thought they had underrated defense. They have Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, Sneed, the corner, the rookie. They have solid defense, but like just I got to know who's going to score with Mahomes. Andy, please tell our listeners where they can find you on uh, social media and where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at Andy underscore Buckler. Um, I post all my stuff on there. You can ask me fantasy questions. And uh, I also have a podcast called Keep It a Buck Podcast. It's been a, on a little bit of a hiatus, but you can find that on oh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And, that, and that's a podcast I listen to, too. I appreciate it. Andy, thanks for being with us. Uh, we appreciate the knowledge. Thanks for having me. All right. Moving on from the fantasy football segment with – Andy Buckler to college football. 
head coaches are getting fired you know, by a number of programs here in college football. Lovey Smith was let go by the Illinois. Arizona just fired head coach Kevin Sumlin as well after that debacle against the Arizona State Sun Devils. I mean, my God. Arizona State scored 70 points in that game while the Arizona Wildcats only scored 7. I mean, that game got ugly in a hurry. The the fumbles, the interceptions, and the, the Sun Devils just took it to them. But the big news coming out of the SEC is Gus Malzahn getting fired by the Auburn Tigers. He's had a good record. I mean, he's got a 66% winning percentage overall. Uh, He led the Auburn Tigers to the BCS championship game in his first year. It was in 2014 when they lost that close game against uh, the Florida State Seminoles and Jimbo Fisher and Jameis Winston. What went wrong? for Gus Malzahn, and why do you think Auburn decided to pull the plug? Well, the thing is, is I, I don't really agree with the whole Gus Malzahn firing. I mean, you always defend these head coaches. Listen to you. You're like you're like an apologist for these head coaches, Ed. I mean, it's almost like these these college coaches, if they're doing a good enough like job in terms of being like seven and five, eight and four, they should stick around for like 20 years. If the guy in the NFL is having a losing season, he should be given a longer leash. You're a great politician for these head coaches. I mean, these should take you in that room to defend themselves. You're like, you're a good lawyer. I mean, you would be a great agent and lawyer for them. You're going to be like politicking for them. You would be able to retain their job. I, I just I just think Gus Malzahn has had some good years in Auburn. I mean, the fact that, I mean, there were years where he's beaten Alabama. He's won the SEC championship. Uh, you know, they, they've been competitive. I mean, what year has has Auburn been terrible? What years can you circle that you could say, wow, you know, Gus Malzahn really, you know, crapped the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he just hasn't. He hasn't. And, I mean, the fact is, is he was a great coach in, co- in high school. He's rose in the ranks in college. To further my argument, let's look at the options that the Auburn boosters are looking at. I mean, let's be real. The Auburn boosters have a big say in this. I mean, they're they're saying that they're factioned into camps. There's really options that I don't think any of them are are particularly ideal to the point where getting rid of Gus Malzahn and buying out his contract are really worth it. The best scenario, I think, is you get Mario Cristobal from Oregon. You buy out his contract. It's going to be expensive. That's the best. But one of the things they're talking about is – getting an assistant coach, getting the assistant coach for the Auburn Tigers to be the head coach. You know, Kevin Steele. You basically buy out your coach so that Kevin Steele can take over. So that doesn't make sense. And then there's Hugh Freeze from Liberty, and that's what one faction of the boosters want. He has issues from when he was at Mississippi. To be honest with you, there isn't really like that up-and-coming candidate that can really take his spot not only do I think it was it was it was mean to take his job away, I also think Auburn is having another Auburn like coach hiring process. Eight and four is just not good enough for the Auburn boosters. I mean, for that program, that that's the case. I just think that that's the case. They want to be in the SEC championship game, and they're not just they're not getting it from Malzahn. They're just not getting it. Georgia is ahead of them. Alabama is ahead of them, and that's okay. But when you've got Florida kind of jumping ahead of you and being in the SEC championship game, I think that rubs people the wrong way in that Auburn program. It's once again, as a head coach, it's what have you done for me lately? I mentioned that Malzahn led them to a BCS championship game in his first year. He took over in 2013, had a great year, I think 10 wins that that year. But he lost that championship game, and he hasn't even been close. He hasn't. I mean, usually it's like 7-5, and 8-4. I guess it's good enough in the SEC, but he always wins against cupcake teams. Yes, against Nick Saban, he's 3-5, and five, and that's better than most coaches in the SEC. That's actually a pretty good record. He's never had a losing season in the SEC. 
it sounds like some of the things that have been written about this issue, people that are close to that program, they say that Malzahn just wasn't liked by a lot of people. He rubbed people the wrong way. Early on, he was known as a QB whisperer. He developed Cam Newton when he was the offensive coordinator there. Well, he hasn't been able to develop any quarterbacks lately. I mean, I can make a case that Bo Nix took a step back this year after showing some promise as a freshman. I didn't see any development. He's hired offensive coordinators that are pretty good. Rhett Lashley, who is at Miami right now, who having, who's having success with the Hurricanes, he fired him. He brought in Chad Morris. That didn't work. Those offensive assistants were just in and out because Malzahn was so hands-on with the offense he was the play caller. He wasn't giving anybody a chance. That's probably the one thing. Eight and four is just not good enough for Auburn anymore. And they realize that that's what they're probably going to get with Malzahn being in charge. I understand, you know, the, 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 the temptation when you're Auburn to, you know, go after the best guy, you know, try to get that best guy. But, I mean, is Mario Cristobal going to all of a sudden put them in the SEC championship? I mean, are they are they going to are they going to be taking Alabama's spot in the SEC championship game? Is Hugh Freeze going to do it? If Harbaugh maybe said, "Hey, you know, I Michigan wasn't for me for whatever reason." Maybe maybe a, you know, a guy like Harbaugh, I could see. But to be honest with you, I don't I don't think Harbaugh I don't think Harbaugh really is made for the college game. And to be honest with you, I think he should go back to the NFL. I, I see the optimism with the idea when you don't like what you was going on, you change. But to be honest with you, they don't have a better option coming. Okay, I'm not buying the fact that Hugh Freeze is coming here because when we had our friend Damon Sordelet on, he's a beat writer for Liberty, he said that Hugh Freeze signed a big-time extension to stay at Liberty through 2026. That's going to be a hefty buyout. Plus, he was run out of town when he had those scandals at Old Miss. I don't think the SEC is is really keen, or Auburn in this case, is really keen on bringing Hugh Freeze. I understand the fascination there and why people are putting him as the number one candidate. I'm not buying it. I think Hugh Freeze will not go to the SEC or Auburn in this case. I don't think Kevin Steele is going to get the job. Let me throw out a couple of names, a couple of rising stars. You mentioned Mario Cristobal. I'm not sure he leaves, but he does have some ties to the SEC, and he was on Alabama's staff. He knows that recruiting area in Florida, and he's done a good job recruiting at Oregon. But let me throw out a couple of more names. How about Billy Napier? He's also a Nick Saban guy. He's had success at Louisiana the past couple of years. He has built something there. How about him? Or maybe Bill Clark, a UAB head coach. He's had success kind of resurrecting that program that has come out from the dead because they they had to suspend football and then came back in a couple of years. Now, those are a couple of guys. How about defensive coordinator Brent Venables? I mean, the man has built a defense at Clemson. You know, he deserves that head coaching job. Why not start at Auburn? I think Venables is a good name as well. And I'll give you a wild card. I don't, personally, I don't like it, but he's been mentioned before. It's Lane Kiffin from Old Miss. I realize that he only took the job last year, but Lane has jumped ship before. He took Tennessee's job, and then after a year, he left for the USC Trojans. He's a really innovative offensive coach, and that's something that Malzahn hasn't had, like, recently. When Malzahn came to the SEC, his offenses were something new. He brought the, the spread offense, and it was difficult to defend. But then defensive coaches, they caught on. And Malzahn never changed with the times. He, he stuck with the offense, with what worked for him. Against Alabama, against Georgia, it just didn't work because they, they had superior talent, and, and Malzahn needed to change with the times. How about Lane Kiffin? Do those names not get you excited? Uh, Brad Venables is an interesting name. I, I will give you that. And Billy Napier are interesting names. 
I'm I'm not interested in Lane Kiffin. I mean, Lane Kiffin hasn't really been that successful. That's the truth of the matter is is that he he's been a great offensive coordinator, but I mean, really he's 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 gotten head coaching jobs at these programs, but has he really succeeded? I I don't like that move. So, you know what? Maybe if you can get Brad Venables, do it. That's probably the best option. If you can get if you can get Billy Napier from from Louisiana, I mean, do it. I mean, I, I, th- I think those are the two those are the two names you have to go with. So, see, I threw out a couple of names that got you excited. I'm not saying that Auburn is going to be able to get them because those two names are going to be hot, up-and-coming head coaches. Auburn is not the only program that, that's going to be after them, but there are a couple of names. Every year you, you can find a few where you don't have, like, a huge buyout uh, like with Mario Cristobal. All right, let's move on and, and preview these conference championship games. And let's start with the SEC. That's the granddaddy of the ball, as Keith Jackson used to say with those uh, Rose Bowl telecasts on January 1st. Uh, the SEC championship game, it's Alabama versus Florida. Florida laid an egg against the LSU Tigers. They, they lost by three points last week, and they're kind of down right now. Kyle Pitts, the, the great tight end, didn't play in that game. Kyle Trask had a bad game, and, and LSU was able to win. The Alabama Crimson Tide, I mean, they destroyed Arkansas Razorbacks, and they're in this championship game. They're the favorites in this game. According to Bovada, Alabama Crimson Tide, minus 17 and a half points over the Florida Gators. Man, that's huge. I didn't expect that. I thought maybe it would be 10, 12. So is Alabama going to run away with this game, Ed? I know I know this isn't really a story that like is really getting out there, but I mean Alabama might be having their best year in years. I mean, when you're talking about the success that they've had in recent history, I mean, you look at you look at their schedule and the teams they've played and the scores and the domination that they've put up this year. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not Tua Tungviola's team anymore. But you know what? Mac Jones is doing the job for them, and this defense is doing the job. And this might be one of the better Alabama teams of this past, like, seven years. And that's saying something. That's really where Florida gets caught. Florida's a good program. They didn't show up against LSU. They didn't get hyped for the LSU game. I think I think it was a trap game, and I, their, their mind is on Alabama. But the fact of the matter is, is that Alabama is a good team this year. No, they are, and their defense is peaking right now. They've gotten better each and every week, and we all know what Mac Jones and Devontae Smith bring to the table. And Saban is going to have this team ready. This is the big game. He knows how to get ready for, for those big games. So you're taking Alabama. I'm taking Alabama. I don't know if I'm going to take the points, though, but I'm going to take Alabama if it's an even spread. Yeah, we'll we'll go without the spread. I'm taking the Gators, Ed. I've been on their bandwagon the the entire season. They had a hiccup against LSU, and that's why I'm taking them. If they would have beaten LSU, I would have taken Alabama. But I've been on the Gators bandwagon the entire season. So I think having Kyle Pitts back, he didn't play against LSU, that's going to be huge for Kyle Trask's confidence. Kyle Trask threw two picks in that game, and what, he had a fumble? I mean, that pick six was brutal. He got fooled by coverage. He thought it was man coverage, and defender dropped back and, you know, dropped into zone and just took it to the house. So Trask has got to be better. And Florida has got to be better in the red zone because Alabama is not going to – is even a better defense. Florida needs to get into that red zone, and they have to score, something that they didn't do against LSU. I'm taking the Gators in this game. If Alabama loses to the Florida Gators – Alabama will still be in the college football playoff, just like Notre Dame and Clemson. My question is, if the Gators beat Alabama and they're a two-loss team, do you think, because they won the SEC championship, they deserve to be in the college football playoff overall Absolutely. I mean, if they can beat Alabama in the SEC championship – Absolutely, they should rise up the rankings. They are the number four. If that happens, you're going to put two SEC teams in there. You're going to put Ohio State number three, and you're going to have the winner of the ACC championship in there. So, 
I see. I think Ohio State in this case is out for me. Let's that, go that, well, I just have to say, I just have to say before you say that, that that would be absolutely ridiculous for Ohio State to run the table in the Big Ten and not get into the college football playoffs. So they haven't played enough games for me. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, most of the teams that we're talking about, we're talking about Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida, they've played more than 10 games. Ohio State has played six. Six. Is that good enough? And when you look at their strength of schedule, it's terrible. But they played against Indiana, who was having a nice season, but that's about and it. They, but they beat, but they beat all that, these teams handily, Alex. I mean, what are they supposed to not do? Not Indiana. Not so, Indiana. So you're saying you can't Indiana, win a national championship they, they because you get a lot of games canceled because of the coronavirus? And that's the hand that you're dealt. I mean, life isn't fair, Ed. Let's move on to the ACC championship game, and, and then let's, let's discuss it. It's Clemson against Notre Dame. Notre Dame already beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence in there. And in this game, Trevor Lawrence will be playing. And according to Bovada, Clemson, they're a 10-point favorite against Notre Dame. Let me get your take here. Can Notre Dame beat Clemson with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback? I, I think this is Clemson's game. I think I think Clemson's going to come into this game very upset at the fact that they lost the close one without Trevor Lawrence. The fact is, is they're going to have Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be angry. And pretty much, you know, Trevor Lawrence wants to solidify that he's the number one guy in this draft. I mean, it's it was like a slam dunk midseason, but I don't think it's the slam dunk that he's the number one like it was four or five weeks ago. I think he still has to come out, play a great ACC championship, have a great playoff, and then you can say definitely Trevor Lawrence, number one, to the New York Jets or whoever's picking first. Uh, The Jets will take Trevor Lawrence. Nothing has changed. He's going to go number one overall. But I think he will have a great game. The only thing is, I think that Notre Dame is getting disrespected in this game. They've been a great defense all year long, and Clemson is getting 10 points in this game. That's a lot. I I think it would be like 6 or 7 points. 10 is a lot. I actually have seen even 12 or 13 in this game on some other gambling uh, websites out there, but I think that's a high number. I mean, you're basically disrespecting Notre Dame, and They've got the best defense in the land, and Ian Book is playing really well. I'm a big believer in Notre Dame, and I think they they will do well in the New York Six. But I just there is a scenario where they get they get into the into the college football playoff. But a lot of things have to go right, and one thing that has to go right is they have to upset Clemson. But the fact of the matter is, is that Clemson deserves to be the favorite in this game, and they and then I think they're going to win this game. I'm also taking Clemson, all right? I do realize that they've got, you know, revenge on their minds. They, they lost to Notre Dame, and they got Trevor Lawrence back. I'm taking the Clemson Tigers as well. So let's return to this debate that we were having a few minutes ago. All right, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, Notre Dame also goes with one loss. If Florida beats Alabama, Alabama has one loss. Wouldn't you take Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame before you take Ohio State, if all those things unfold, we're just predicting out here if Alabama loses, you know, if Notre Dame loses. But if those things happen, don't you have to take Alabama with one loss, Clemson with one loss, and Notre Dame with one loss before you take Ohio State? Everybody has one loss, and that's only if Florida beats Alabama, and that's a huge if. But Alabama has one loss, Clemson has one loss, Notre Dame has one loss. All three of these teams have to go ahead of Ohio State. And if Florida beats Alabama, shouldn't they go ahead of Ohio State? I think you got to put I still think you got to dance with uh with Ohio State because the fact is is they haven't been beaten and I just think I think when a team goes undefeated, you got to give them a shot to to basically win the national championship. So one of these one-loss teams has to be out. Then Florida has to be out. In your case, I mean, the Gators have to be out. They win the SEC championship game, but they have two losses, and that would that just wouldn't work out in college football. Well, well you're saying, you're saying, you're saying this a two-loss team should get in over a team that hasn't lost at all? Absolutely, because Ohio State hasn't had a full season as far as I'm concerned. Yes, they've had COVID issues, or some other teams have had COVID issues, and that's the reason why they've canceled three games. It's not their fault. But the fact is, I don't know how good Ohio State is. I just don't. 
And I don't think I'm going to find out after this, the Big Ten championship game as well, because they are playing against Northwestern. I want to get your pick between Ohio State and Northwestern and the Big Ten. Is it going to be just a, a runaway for, for the Buckeyes? I mean, I assume they take this game. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State's the better team. Justin Fields wants to be that guy, you know, when they call the Heisman. I see them winning this game, and I think it's going to be like a 40-24 to 24 type of game. I think it'll be like a kind of a blowout. I also think it's going to be a blowout. Ohio State Buckeyes will, will take this game. It just Northwestern has been an amazing story. Done a great job this year with Coach Fitz, but I just don't see the Buckeyes losing. Let's go to the Big 12 championship game. This is a rematch as well. The Oklahoma Sooners are taking on Iowa State Cyclones, and the Cyclones have already beaten Oklahoma Sooners this year. According to Bavada, the Sooners are getting five and a half points versus the Cyclones. It's always difficult to beat the team second time around. And the Oklahoma Sooners are peaking right now with, with Rattler. Who are you taking in this game, the Sooners? Or do you think the Cyclones can do it second time around? I, I, I think Oklahoma has the momentum right now. I think that's really what it is. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that Oklahoma is out of the college football playoff because of how they played at the beginning of the year, because of their two losses at the beginning of the year. But the fact is is that Oklahoma is one of the elite teams in college football. You know, Spencer Radler is playing good football. And you know what? To be honest with you, Lincoln Riley knows how to win the Big 12. So, yep, I'm going to give this to the Oklahoma Sooners. I've been saying it for a while, even when the, the Sooners fell behind but then started playing better. Their offense is, is really good. They're their passing attack is, is clicking right now. So I'm also taking the Sooners over the Cyclones in this Big 12 championship game. And, and to me, I don't think this game is going to be close. Let's move on to the Pac-12. It was supposed to be USC versus Washington, but the Huskies weren't able to field a, a full team due to COVID. And the Pac-12 decided to insert the Oregon Ducks at 3-2. and two. Really sad for, for the Washington Huskies, but hey, the, the Ducks get their wish. I mean, they get in the Pac-12 championship game against the USC Trojans. And the Trojans had another come-from-behind win against the UCLA Bruins this past weekend. And currently, they're sitting undefeated. Are you going to go against the Trojans, or are you uh, you're going against the Ducks? I'm going against the Ducks. Um, I think I think USC wins this. I think it's going to be a good close game. I think USC has kind of shown an ability to win close games at the end. They showed that against Arizona State. I give I give USC the edge in this game. I mean, USC has had a good year. I mean, I think outperformed their expectations this year. They're a good team, and you know, Keaton Slovis, he's a good quarterback, and I mean, he might be a guy you know that we we sort of watch film on. This off season, and we might say, "Hey, this guy could be a a first round, second round, you know, type of guy." You know, I, I want to look at his tape. Yeah, it's going to be him and Sam Howell next year. Those are the two early leaders, as they say. Both guys should be in the first round, but yeah, as we break down the tape, we'll we'll see if these guys deserve to be, you know, top two picks or in the top five. All right, let's move on to. The other championship games on tap, let's go with the AAC conference. A lot of people assumed, and you and I were on their bandwagon, a lot of people assumed that it was going to be UCF against Memphis. We knew Cincinnati was going to be a good team, and maybe somebody had them in the championship game, but nobody had Tulsa here. Tulsa has has been on fire in the second half of these games in the fourth quarter. They've had a lot of comebacks when we talked to their beat writer a few weeks ago. So can can Tulsa continue their Cinderella run against Cincinnati, or do you think the Bearcats are going to run away? With I think game? they ran into uh, Cincinnati's story. I mean, Desmond Ritter, I think he's maybe a day two type of quarterback. I mean, he's had a great year for them. The Cincinnati team is is very good. I mean, they won't be in the playoff for the reason that they just don't play a tough enough schedule. But, you know, they've won all their games, and I think, they, I think they, they're going to beat Tulsa pretty handily. I mean, Tulsa 
Tulsa has the loss they showed they can lose to a team like Oklahoma State. I mean, the fact is that Cincinnati is ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. I see this as Cincinnati's game. Yeah, Cincinnati has a great defense, and they, they've played well. I think their secondary is just going to take over in this game against uh, the Tulsa wide receivers, and it's going to be difficult for Tulsa to compete. And like you said, Desmond Ritter has been a revelation this year, and he was named Offensive Player of the Year in the AEC when it, it came out a couple of days ago. So I'm also taking Cincinnati. So, so far, Ed and myself – have taken the, the same winner in all the conference championship games except for the SEC championship game where I went with Florida and he went with Alabama. Let's move on to the Sun Belt. And um, also a surprise here because in the beginning of the season, you and I had Appalachian State taking the Sun Belt. And they're not in the, in the Sun Belt championship game. It's the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns versus the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. It's crazy saying that right now because, I mean, the the Chanticleers are unbeaten. They're one of the, the better stories in college football. They haven't lost a game, and according to Bavada, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game versus Louisiana. So are you taking Billy Napier in this game, or are you – Going with the Cinderella, and they're going to keep it going this week as well. You know what? I, I might be picking a little bit with my heart, but I, I think Coastal Carolina. This is their this is their season. They're pretty much the the story of college football. I mean, they've been undefeated this year. Um, they've had a lot of fun. They've been the surprise, and it just wouldn't be right if if the Rage and Cajuns took this game. Well, it's been a great Cinderella story, and I just want it to continue. I want to see that celebration after the game. It should be a lot of fun if they pull off this upset. And it's not an upset. Uh, Coastal Carolina is favored in this game against Louisiana, but uh, Louisiana has been here before and something new for Coastal Carolina. I just I want the story to continue, and therefore I'm also going with Coastal Carolina in this game. I want to see an undefeated season. I want them to be ranked inside the top 10, and, and it should be a lot of fun, once again, to, to check out that celebration. on Conference USA Championship game, it's uh, going to feature UAB versus Marshall, and Marshall has had a great defense the entire season. They come in with one loss. UAB has had a couple of losses this year. And you and I were high on UAB before the season. So who are you rolling with in this game? I mean, Marshall Marshall's just a better team. I mean, they've only lost one game, whereas I think UAB's lost three games. I mean, it's just, you know, this is, this is generally a conference that Marshall wins, and I don't think this year is going to be any different. I'm also going with Marshall. Once again, I, I said that their defense is really good. They've been able to uh, to dominate on that side of the ball. But their freshman quarterback, Grant Wells, needs to take care of the football because last game he threw five picks, and that's the reason why Marshall didn't come away with the win. That's something that, that sunk them in this game, and he's got to take care of the ball for Marshall to, to beat a very good UAB team that was – projected possibly to to win this conference USA championship. I'm going against what I picked in the beginning of the season because I picked UAB to to win conference USA, but I've seen Marshall, Grant Wells at quarterback needs to play better. They're led by Brandon Knox at running back and they have a very good defense. Let's talk about the MAC and the MAC has Buffalo versus Ball State. I think a lot of people, including us, saw Buffalo in the championship game because they were prime. They, they had a lot of pieces, and uh, it looked like a team that was possessed to, to be here, motivated to, to get to this point, something that has uh, eluded them the last couple of years. But I didn't see Ball State being in the in the championship game. So who do you have, Ed? Do you have Buffalo or Bull State? I'm going to go with Buffalo. I mean, they're, 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 they're just a little bit more of a dominant team, and Buffalo is going to be the team that's going to win. Here's the reason why the Buffalo Bulls are, are going to win this game. Uh, they've got a running back, Jared Patterson, who's kind of the, the dark horse 
for the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he's going to be one of the finalists, but he's run for over 1,000-plus yards in, in four-and-a-half games. But this guy has been amazing. And that offensive line that Buffalo has, they just they move people, especially in the running game. And I just think Ball State, just like everybody else on the MAC, are not going to be able to stop that, that rushing attack that has been incredible this year. So check out this game in the MAC, the MAC championship game, Buffalo against Ball State. You'll, you'll see a really fun game. Uh, last championship game to break down, it's the Mountain West Conference. And this year, San Jose State has been that Cinderella team, that, that surprise team, because nobody saw San Jose State being in the championship game. They're 6-0, and and they're playing against an old foe that seems to be in the Mountain West Conference championship game almost every year. It's Boise State, who's 5-1. and are you going with the Cinderella story, or are you going with the team that that has gotten it done almost every year in the Mountain West? Well, I think that's the best way to put it is Boise State has known how to win uh, this conference for a lot of years. And I, I think this, this Boise State team has dealt with adversity pretty well. I mean, they lost Hank Bachmeyer. Granted, he's only a sophomore quarterback, but I think this team is pretty resilient. And, you know, the, it's, just, it's just a team like Boise State – just knows how to recruit that conference. Uh, they know they almost recruit like a Power Five conference team, and I think that really gives them an advantage against these uh, these teams like San Jose State. You know, San Jose can have a good year in the conference, but I mean, the fact is is that Boise State's just the juggernaut in the Mountain West. I'm also going to go with the Boise State Broncos. I just think that they have enough uh, firepower on the offensive side. I hope George Halani plays because he's one of the more underrated running backs out there. He's only a sophomore. He's missed a few games this year with an injury, but they have C.G. Thomas. They have Shakir at wide receiver, and I just think it's going to be too much for San Jose State. It's been a great story. With Nate Starko as their quarterback at San Jose State, he's been a well-traveled guy, a big-time recruit who's been at Texas A&M. He's been at Arkansas, and it seems like he's finally found a home on the West Coast at San Jose State. Finally, he's lived up to that billing, but I just think Boise State is, is going to be too much to, to handle at this point. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Blitzcast. I hope you enjoyed this conference championship preview and some fantasy football talk. Thank you for listening. Take care.